Now is the time for the leader to qualify. For those listening to the podcast, please note you can now attend the kitchen sink via Zoom while the stay-at-home order is in effect in Los Angeles. Go to oalaig.org for login information. Okay, well, here we go. My name is Pamela, and I am a compulsive overeater and so grateful that I was asked to lead this meeting and given such comfortable guidelines. So, I guess I talked till 9.30, so that's 20 minutes, and I'm going to kind of watch the timer, and I'm going to talk about what it was like, which you might all be bored with, what happened, marginally boring for some of you, and what it's like now. And that is a little bit new because what it's like now is not what it was like yesterday or last year. Things are happening, and I thank God for this program. I thank God for everything in my life. And we don't have to get really stressed about the God word because God can be your intuition, the ocean, a higher part of yourself. I'm not too fussy on that. I just know it's not me. So what happened is my whole life I felt less than. There was something wrong with me. I was sure of it. And when doing my first first step, I was asked to write about my eating behavior. Well, I didn't write about any of the emotions because I couldn't really figure out what emotions were connected to eating behavior. I was happy I ate. I was sad I ate. I was worried I ate. I was full of gratitude I ate. A third world country had become a democracy I ate. A third world company had been overcome by anarchists I ate. I ate before sex. I ate after sex. I was just trying to figure out how to eat during sex. But anyway, by the grace of God, this has all been relieved. It's not like that anymore. But what I was was a compulsive dieter. And, you know, I've sought out one million therapists to figure out why. And I just don't know. I'm not a particularly, I was not fat as a child. I was just tall. I was just the biggest and tallest when I was out. You know how they line you up by the tallest person? I was always the first person. And when I was in sixth grade, they weighed us in front of the class. And, you know, I was five foot four and I weigh, or five foot three and I weighed, I don't know, over a hundred pounds and everybody laughed. But I was never fat. I thought I was fat. I thought I was less than. But I was just a bigger girl. But that's when I started dieting. So my first, first step, they said, write down your eating behavior. Okay, I'm also a computer nerd, so like Excel spreadsheets make me excited. So my Excel spreadsheet had in it, um, I wrote down the diet I was on, the name of it, pears and cottage cheese, how much I weighed at the beginning, how much I weighed at the end, oh, the date this all happened. And the last column was how much weight I lost. 
between 10 years old and 50 years old, I gained and lost 685 pounds. So that's not really normal. So what happened is I had a friend staying with me, someone that I went to college with, and she decided she was a member of AA and she was staying with me and she was writing in this notebook all these columns and all this stuff. And then she got those little four by six note cards and she was writing out all of her amends. I thought, oh God, she's always been crazy. She's crazier. But you know what? When she did that ninth step and all of those little four by six cards had a check mark on them, she was a different person. She seemed calmer, more serene, more focused. And I said, shoot, that's what I want to be. So, gee, I wonder what program I should do. Well, I have to tell you, I'm a compulsive fill-in-the-blank. Put it down, chocolate, Chardonnay, diet pills, marijuana, cocaine, Brad Pitt, a Neiman Marcus credit card. I abused them all, okay? Sex, drugs, rock and roll, that was the name of my life. And I have to admit, people say, well, when you were 35 years old and you did this, and they would ask me questions, I don't remember. I was high or drunk or something. <laughs> so I never dealt with life on any terms. So my friend went, oh, and this is a very good thing for pe- for those of you that are kind of newer, don't have a sponsor. Get a sponsor. The most important thing is having a sponsor. Well, it's one of the things, but they will lovingly guide you through this process. Now, being the controlling, self-seeking, self-absorbed person that I am, I decided that I couldn't join OA until I had the perfect sponsor. So I asked my friend, was there anybody in AA that did OA? And she said, oh, yes, this girl, she has wonderful, wonderful program. I called and interviewed her. I checked out several people till I found the perfect sponsor. And I did what she said. I went to a meeting in Santa Monica, and I live in Koreatown. It was rush hour, but I did it. I did what she said. Six weeks later, she decides she really needs to go to Al-Anon, and she dropped away. So that that's where it gets you if you think you can plan this all out, because you can't. Your higher power has this all planned out. So I then, I went to my first meeting, where she was, <laughs> meeting she told me to go to when I heard somebody else speak. I said, well, would you be my sponsor? And they said, yes. Perfect sponsor. You can't find the right one. Just open your mouth and say, would you be my sponsor? And God will have the perfect person for you. And that's how it works. I went to pro, I went to meetings. Um, I heard people say, I, when I first came to the program, I was the last person and I sat in the back of the room and I was the first person to run out. And I said, I'm a tough cookie. I'm not going to be weak like that. I'm going to show them I can do it. So I came early and I was one of the last people to leave. 
but I was scared to talk to anybody because you would see that on my insides, I was really ugly and unworthy and not someone you even wanted to be a friend with. So I did what was natural. I said, how many chairs go in the row? I'll help you set the chairs up. And where do we bring the trash? Do we empty the trash in the kitchen too? And so I just started doing service at the beginning and end of meetings so I didn't have to talk to anybody and nobody could see me. And I always say that this is the first gift that I got from God for this program. By doing that, everybody thought I was a really nice person. Everybody thought I was really cool. So I started doing more service, and I have to say that that is one of the best things that I've ever done, and I keep doing it. I have done service on the meeting level, on the intergroup level, on the region level, on the world service level. I've done things like bring the literature to a meeting, be the lifeline rep, chair a convention, chair a board of uh, directors, I did whatever I have to do. In saying that, ooh, in saying that, I might say that I probably owe about half the people on this meeting an amends for practicing my disease in my service because if Carl had kept reading how it works out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is where everything is. This is my little one. Isn't it cute? I carry it in my purse. Well, when I get to go out, now I have it next to my Zoom iPad. But after he finishes, that God could and would if he were thought, it talks about most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the own show who is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. So all of you who I have treated like that, I owe my sincere amends. I did the best I could. I was of service. And even though I wasn't a perfect angel, even though I was a bit of a controlling jerk some of the time, Half of you at this meeting are my best friends. I've been to your homes for meetings. You've been to my home. We've worked on projects together. And this is what it's all about. You've got to get that sponsor who's going to keep your doo-doo together. Because, honey, you cannot do it alone. You need help. And then it doesn't hurt to get a posse. My sponsor told me I needed to do 30 meetings in 30 days. But since I'm a compulsive fill-in-the-blank, I decided to do 90 meetings in 90 days. And, you know, during that time, I traveled to Hong Kong. And so the week before I left, I would do two meetings a day if I had to. And while I was in Hong Kong, I found AA meetings. And I went to them as often as I could. You know, you've got to do the tw- have a sponsor do the 12 steps, and then follow those. We don't read them, but we have these things that help us in our program. We call them tools. 
And there, I think there's nine of them. Um, or maybe I think there's nine. I'd like to add one. And it's my favorite. It's called Button My Lip. So now I'm abstinent. I've been abstinent for 26 years. My life is a million times better. It's not perfect. I'll mention a few things that aren't perfect. But I look at it as everything from a gift from God. Prior to program, I gained and lost 685 pounds, never weighing less than 120, never weighing more than 220. So I know how to go 90 days on herbal tea and lemon juice. I know how to eat three pizzas in one day. I know how to do it all. I actually practiced exercise bulimia, and I never really admitted I was bulimic. I just did a lot of cleanses, and I had a very clean colon. But I was getting on the scale every 10 minutes. Let's just be honest. So what do I do now? What do I do now? I have a sponsor. I have sponsees. I do service. Let's talk about the food. Let's talk about the food. When I came to this program, I said, okay, I'm not going to do any sugar because three meals a day is like my mother always had three meals a day, and I never felt like eating when she felt like eating, and I didn't care about anybody else. It was all about me, of course, isn't it? So I decided to do no sugar. But I wear my abstinence like a loose cloak. I have fallen off the horse, but I get right back on. And I don't ever start over. I started this program when I was 50. I didn't have another start over in me. So I just keep going. When I first came to this program, I heard people say, oh, I'm traveling to my family for Thanksgiving, and I, I'm i bringing my food on the airplane because they won't have the right food, and they're going to be all my triggers. And I said, you know, I'd rather be fat than carry my food on the airplane. The truth is, within the last year, I have been stopped by security as I am getting Going through the security path, they said, stand back, ma'am, and don't stand. We have to look through this briefcase. They thought there was C4 in it. It was frozen tofurkey sausages. It was my food. I would rather carry my food with me and get stopped by security for carrying something in my bag. But it's my food. And, you know, for today... For today, I weigh and measure everything that I eat. This is a program of rigorous honesty, and it says in our big book, it says in the very beginning, you know, rarely have we seen a person fail who has not, who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who cannot or will not are constant, are incapable, are those who are incapable of being honest with themselves. That's what I'm working on now. Rigorous. Pamela, five minutes, thanks. Thank you, Michael. So, what I'm working on, you see, this is my, an outside issue, one of these things that measures how much you exercise. 
I still cheat on it. I can't help myself. I am not rigorously honest, but it tells, sometimes it will say you need 10 more steps and I don't feel like running up and down the stairs. So I do this to my arm and I cheat, but I try to be rigorously honest. My challenge today is I'm getting older and I never thought that would happen. I am rigorous, rigorously honest about my food. And if you're going to work with me, that's the first thing we're going to be rigorously honest. Everything that goes into my mouth, I weigh, I measure. I don't have a judgment. If I decide I want some cereal for breakfast, I measure out one serving, I eat it. If Then I eat one serving and I think, Maybe I'd like a little more. I like a little more. I also write down everything I eat. Sometimes I eat more than I would like. Sometimes I don't eat as much as I would like. You know, I'm not in charge with the total amount I eat or don't eat. God is in charge. I will tell you right now, God cares about my food and your food and your abstinence and my abstinence as much as God worries about the COVID crisis. Don't think you're less worthy. Don't think you're less important. God cares about every moment of your life and every action of your life. You just have to let God lead you. And everything that happens, including the crisis we're going through now, I personally believe, is a gift from God. It doesn't always come in a beautifully wrapped foil glitter package with a pink bow on it. Sometimes it comes in a dirty, reused plastic bag. We're saying, this is a gift. It doesn't look like a gift. But just wait. It will be a gift. I don't know how. I don't know how. Going to this meeting, when we changed our location to Beverly Hills, I had a very serious auto accident, at which I was at fault. But because I was driving a 1999 Lincoln Town car, I was broadsided. I ran a red light on Santa Monica. I was broadsided. The 2018 Mercedes was totally destroyed. And my car was drivable. In fact, the police drove it to the to the tow car. And when the tow car got it home, he said I could still drive the car. But I've given up my car for now. Because of my age and because I was at fault in an injury accident, I have to retake my driver's test. Only the DMV is closed. And it's not taking new appointments till September. I have a driving permit, but I gave my car away. One day at a time. I guess this is what happens when you get older. I don't know. I'm going to do whatever God's will is. I'm going to take a driving class behind the wheel to prepare me for the test. I'm going to take the test. But I don't even know if I'm going to buy a car. And I don't really care if I pass the test or don't pass the test. I'm going to do the footwork, and the results are up to my higher power. So I hope that some of you have heard 
at least one thing that will help you through your day-to-day and through whatever you have to look at in your life. Remember, we have something greater than ourselves that's helping us every step of the way. So just let go and let that higher power run your life like I am doing. I don't love every minute of it, but I accept every minute of it. And that's where it's at. I mean, I was almost going to order an overnight delivery of Plexiderm. I thought, oh, my God, I am going to be on. Everybody's going to see my face and all of my wrinkles. But, you know, one day at a time, I'm loving them. So I just hope you can do what my bottom line abstinence, which is loving myself. Thank you for letting me share. This is a time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you have a question, please raise the click the raise your hand icon. The secretary will call on you. You can then unmute and ask your question. So, uh, Zan? Hello. Thank you, Pamela, for a wonderful share. Thank you to all who do service here. So, Pamela, my question is, how, as a newcomer, do you determine if you're a compulsive overeater? Boy, I don't really know. I guess some of the things that I said. I find that I'm multiply addicted, and I find that other people are multiply addicted. I think one of the things that I read might be a clue to figure out if you are, and that is OA defines the act of abstinence or refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behavior while working towards a healthy body weight. So. Are you at a healthy body weight? Do you have compulsive behaviors around food? Do you have compulsive thoughts about food? Do you engage in food behaviors when you are feeling unpleasant? Now, you might involve in other behaviors. I got to do a million things, but I knew food was my bottom line. I went on a diet when I was 10 years old. So, you know, I'm just taking... Whatever it says out of our literature, because my mind is going. <laughs> and and I believe it. Thank you. Thanks, Pamela. Uh, John B. Thanks, Pamela. Really appreciate your share. Learned a lot. Uh, could please talk about turning things over to your higher power. How long does that take you? And uh, that's my question. Thanks. Okay, turning things over to my higher power. Oh, God, I really hate doing that. Really, because there is some part of me that believes I know the best and I can do it the best. So how do I turn it over? I talk to fellows. I talk to a sponsor. I have outside therapy, but 
I think the best thing I do is have sponsees or take outreach calls because every time one of them calls me, and it's about a turning something over, and all of a sudden I say, oh, shoot, I'm having trouble turning that over. But that's just buzzing in the back of my mind. What comes out of my mouth, which has nothing to do with me, are some beautiful words that are put there by a power greater than myself. And as I say them, I hear them. And I say, oh, gosh, this person is asking about problems with their parent, and I'm having problems with my daughter. And I'm hearing her say the entire daughter view, and I am now understanding this situation I couldn't turn over with my daughter. Now I can turn it over because I see her point of view. And now she sees my point of view. I don't know. Something greater than myself just works all of this out. And that's how it happens. But I don't like it. The other thing I do is try to be quiet. Now, I'm just a chatterbox. This is really hard. My mind is going a million miles an hour. And it's really hard to slow it down. Because of COVID and this portion in life, I'm not doing yoga every other day, teaching a class. And it's really hard for me to just stop and meditate. But I got a really good gift from God. My supplemental insurance company told me that I could use this app on my phone, and instead of paying $80, I could just have it for free because of COVID. And it has a million meditations on it. And so I did one this morning. I did one last night. I did one in the middle of the day. I guess that's the other thing I do. I just have to stop. And then the answers will come, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. But they will come. Did that answer your question? Wonderfully. Thanks, Pamela. Thank you, John. Excellent. Uh, Lillian M. Hi, Pam. Thank you for a fabulous lead. Bravo. Um, just could you share basically what your average food plan is, like on an average day? What you oh, eat? thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't pay her off for this, but I forgot to say it in my share. Okay, so my food plan is three meals a day and a snack. I don't eat sugar. I don't eat gluten. I'm a vegetarian. I be, remember my abstinence is a loose cloak. So I got abstinent on April 15th, 1994. And at that time, I was doing three meals a day, but I couldn't keep it up. No, I was doing no sugar. So I couldn't keep it up, and I said, I'm changing it because it's a loose cloak. You know, I don't know what's going to fit perfectly. I said, okay, I'll do three meals a day, even though that's really, really, really compulsive. And so April 15th, 1994, I declared myself abstinent. April 15th, 1994. July 5th, 1998, I gave up sugar. That wasn't the next day. That took me four years. But thank God it's over. Like I say, a hockey puck, a Hershey bar, 
I am not going to eat either. They do not go in my mouth. And that's just the way I feel. I am completely neutral. But I do, I write down my food. I weigh and measure my food. I do it in an app so I have an idea of my carbohydrates and my protein. And I try to stay focused on protein. And I'm older. I stay focused on fiber. And I do a lot of, you know, I'm just, I'm doing what I have to do. I mean, if now I don't worry about my size because my size is the same. But now I worry about my skin. You know, I wish I still fit in my skin. But... But those of you who are in the same thing I am and are looking at our wrinkly skin and said, if I only hadn't weighed 220 pounds, I wouldn't have wrinkly skin. But I'm 77 years old, and my friends that are 77 that have always been thin have the same wrinkly skin I do. So so I think, I, you know, you just there's nothing you could do about it. Did I answer your question? Thank you. <laughs> All right, Marina. Hi, everybody. My name is Marina, and I'm a compulsive reader in the Recovered Sugar Addict. Um, Pamela, you did an excellent job. I learned so much from you. You're inspiring. My question is, um, I've been, for the last two years, July of 2018, I became abstinent. Okay. Now, my question is, what is the difference between relapse and a slip? Because during these two years, I have eaten sugar maybe about four times, okay, during that time. Do I consider, do I have to start all over again? Um, is there a difference between a slip and relapse? Okay, so I have an answer for it, but remember it's my opinion. I wear my abstinence like a loose cloak. I have done every diet in the world Three times, once as a rock star, once as, you know, a B minus, and then once as an F minus. You know, I just couldn't do it. So starting over just isn't on my agenda. So I was talking to a sponsee, and I think she was trying to stay away from sugar. And she called me, and she was in her first year of abstinence, and she said, I have, I'm at the beach. And I have a, a popsicle in this hand and an ice cream cone in this hand, and I'm eating them as fast as I can. And I said, well, you made a piss-poor choice for lunch. That's what I'm going to say. This was not a very smart lunch. Let me ask you, is there a gallon tub of Ben & Jerry's that you're going to inhale after you finish eating what's in your hand? And she said, no. And I said, great. Let's just accept we made a very, very, very bad choice for lunch. And let's talk about dinner. What are you going to have for dinner? Do you want to call me after you eat that dinner? And that's kind of the way I go. What would be relapse? Relapse would be a week of not being conscious. You know, it's not just the food behavior, but how long do we stay unconscious? Eating sugary cough drops when you have a sore throat two times a day, I can live with that. A little ketchup on a, on a french fry is okay. I can live with it. I mean, I don't do sugar, but I don't ding myself. But if I lose consciousness, 
then I've lost my abstinence. I cannot be, you know, if, if you know enough to call your sponsor, you haven't lost consciousness, have you? And if it takes you a day to call your sponsor, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. But that's my personal opinion. I wear my abstinence like a loose cloak. I have just been put in the box too much in my life. And I put myself in the box. And I don't need to put myself in another box. And I know that I have a higher power. And I just have to say, higher power, what do you think I should do with this ice cream cone? And, you know, that's that's something I have to really tell you. When you have a slip, stop and ask God. If you think you might have a slip, if you see too much on your plate, you're at a restaurant, they're bringing out something fancy, you know, Say you have to go to the bathroom. Us girls can always say we have to go to the bathroom. And go in there and do some deep breathing and ask God, what am I going to do about this food? It's kind of given me a challenge. And God will answer you. God is not too busy with COVID-19. God has plenty of time with what you're going to eat for lunch. Five so minutes, if you, Pardon? Five minutes. Five minutes. Okay, I'll take another question. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, Tamika? Or Tamika? Yes. Hi. Um, hi, Pamela. So good to see you. Um, Tamika's been to my house. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your beautiful share. And I've done service on the international world service level with you. Um, at your, actually, you're the reason that I did it because you strong armed me. You absolutely bullied me. And it was like <laughs> one of the best things I ever did. Um, so my question is, I've always, for all these years, I've heard you talking about um, self-love is your bottom line abstinence. And what I want to know is, how did you get there from, from when the day you walked into OA, how did you get to self-love? Okay, so it's slow, but it's very comforting. I probably want to beat myself up a thousand times a day, or I used to do that. And now I just try to stop. And I just try to app, breathe, breathe. You don't even need to app. Breathe in, count for five or ten, hold it, count for five to ten, breathe out. And say, HP, talk to me, HP, talk to me. And that voice will come, whether it's from God in the heavens or your internal intuition. Your higher self will tell your lower self that you're okay. And that's, I think, what has really happened for me is I'm not a rock star. I'm not the cutest. I'm not the best speaker. I'm not the smartest. But I'm okay. And... That's the best I can hope for. As long as I am compassionate and generous and giving to other people, as long as I accept the things I cannot change and try to change the things I can, I will be just fine. And that's all I can do. And I will never do it perfectly until I'm six feet under. Because I am a human, and that, in my opinion, is the human condition, is not being perfect. And so you have to love what's there. 
And there's always something good. I do a 10th step every night, ask my sponsor, and it has what am I grateful for, where was I resentful, where was I fearful, what did I do wrong, where did I open my big mouth. It's word for word out of the big book. You know, that's what I do. I wrote, I write one every night, and I probably haven't missed a night in four years. She can correct me if she wants, but, but I do. And I write my food down every day. And that's, and if that's, if that's all I can be honest about is the food I ate every day, that's a win because I'm a liar, a cheater, a stealer, and the most dishonest person on this planet. And if I can get, be rigorously honest just by writing my food down, I won. I won. That's the way I have to look at it. Thank you for asking. Nice seeing you. Beautiful baby. One minute, Pam. One more minute. One quick question. Okay, Arlene. Hey, Arlene, can you unmute yourself? Hi, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Love you. Um, Love you. Uh, how do you deal? You say, how do you deal with like feelings of regret, even if they're not that valid to you today? It's just like ping. Oh, I should have the thirty years ago, or ping, or why didn't I, or those kinds of feelings. Oh, I'm so glad you asked. So I just mentioned that I'm now seeking outside help. I'm going to a therapist that does therapy with senior people because we have to deal with we can't stand on our head anymore, which really irritates me. Okay, so how do, wait, I forgot. How do we deal with, oh, regrets? Let go. Let go and let God. Just let go. So I tell this therapist, you know, I have all these feelings, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, I was adopted, blah, 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 blah. And she said, you know, those are the feelings everybody had with that were adopted. Some of them may have come to you while you were in the womb. Let go of it. Move on. Move on. We're not perfect. We're not perfect except who you are. Your higher power does. And all the rest of us really do. It's time, Pamela. Quit beating yourself up. Let your sponsor do that. (laughs) That's her job. Thank you for letting me share.